Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Grove. It is so good to have you back inside. My goodness, there's so many things that I've forgotten that I missed about being inside. For starters, I can actually see you all. Normally outside, y'all sat about 75 yards away from the front of the stage. So now I'm going to be able to tell if you're sleeping. So good morning and welcome to the Grove. It's good to be back inside. So good to have my mic back on. I I think I forgot what to do with my hands, though. So in the middle of the sermon, I'm like walking around like this. You know that it's just a little bit of lack of practice. But it is good to be back. We are kicking off a new sermon series this morning called The Two Halves of Life. And the reason that we are doing so is because I think we all need a little bit of guidance in our life, knowing kind of where the twists and turns may lead us. I think it's easy to find ourselves lost in life. Actually, I think one of the most powerful lines of literature ever written was written about 700 years ago by a man named Dante Alighieri. And he was kind of an Italian author. And he wrote in his famous work, The Inferno, he wrote these words to begin the whole thing. Midway in life's journey, I found myself in a dark wood, having lost the way. Midway in life's journey, I found myself in a dark wood, having lost the way. Now, it resonates with me because one of the things that has been a common theme in my life is I get lost a lot. I uh, am one of those people that have zero sense of natural direction. So for those of you who can walk outside and immediately know which direction north is or west, I, don't, I can't do that. Even in a city that I've lived in for 15 years, I still get lost. I'm one of the few people that even with turn-by-turn navigation, I'm the type that's like, well, I'm not really sure that they meant right here. And I kind of, my overconfidence tries to compete with the experience and satellite technology, and I still find myself getting lost. But what happens when we get lost in life uh, is a little bit different than when we kind of get lost when we're trying to get somewhere. Most of the time when I get lost when I'm driving, it's because I missed a turn. I didn't follow the instructions or where I thought I was going. It was a different place than where I intended to go. But when we get lost in life, uh, it's a little bit different. It's far more unsettling. It's a little scarier because we can't open a map. We can't open an app. We can't rely on satellite technology to get us out of the place. And so sometimes, maybe my guess is at some point in your life, whether it was in the middle years of your life or in a season of change in your life, you have resonated with those opening lines from Dante's Inferno. Midway in life's journey, I found myself in a dark wood having lost the way. Well, the goal of this series is to help us find our way. Whether you feel lost now or you have navigated a season of of feeling lost or the inevitability that one day you will find yourself in a place that feels a little confusing like you've lost your way, my hope will be that this series kind of works as a little bit of kind of life cartography, that we can map out a little bit of the way and the course and the path that life can go for us. You see, in church, we try to help each of you live like Jesus. But sometimes that gets reduced down to, well, come to church and pray and read your Bible. But really, that's not the goal. The goal is not to get you to come to church to pray and to read your Bible. Those are all things that serve a greater purpose. What we really care most about here is how we can help you navigate life's journey and and do that through kind of spiritual formation and spiritual development of cultivating your inner person. We believe that there's a life that is available to each of us, 
but it is not always easy to find. It's not always easy to access, but it is a life that we believe is found through living like Jesus. And so the goal here at the church is to help you do that, is to provide you with guidance, spiritual direction, spiritual formation, not just to fill your head with facts and details and information about the Bible or about faith, but to actually help you begin to mold and shape your life so that the choices that you make, the values that you set, the way that you conduct your relationships, maybe even the relationships that you choose, how you navigate your businesses, every aspect of your life, we believe, should be informed by what's happening inside, formed by the development, the flourishing of your soul. And so that's the goal of this series. I know, kind of small not that lofty of a goal, but that's the goal of the series is to kind of give us a, a sense of direction as to how we can navigate life. Because inevitably, there will be twists and turns. My sense is that if you're at least over the age of maybe 15 or 16, you found yourself in a place going, oh, I didn't expect that. Oh, that wasn't what I thought was going to happen. Or how did I get here? That's just a common fact of life. There may be some of you who are like, Eight, and you're like, listen, no, I've already asked that like six times. If you knew who my dad was, you would realize that we ask that question a lot. But that's the goal of this series. And to do that, I want to start us off at the end of what we have been looking at over the last seven weeks. So the last seven weeks, we've been in the Gospel of John. And we've been kind of navigating through this series, trying to understand who Jesus was. And the reason that we said that we were navigating the Gospel of John, trying to understand who Jesus was, is because we think that that helps us access what John believes is the promise of a relationship with God. John says at the end of his Gospel that those who ever believe in Jesus can have life, eternal life, in his name. And so that's kind of what we were hoping to accomplish, is that how do we find that life? How do we access that life? It's not so easy. There's not turn by turn. We don't know all of the steps. And then when we start to combine that with actual the challenges and the struggles of everyday life, of raising a family, of progressing in our career, of just being a person in the world, it starts to get really confusing. But the way that John ends his gospel, I think, gives us a little bit of an insight into what lies ahead for us as people. So we're going to be in the very last chapter in the gospel of John Chapter 21, I'm going to show these words on the screen so you can read along with us. Starting in verse 18, this is a conversation that Jesus is having with Peter. Now, this is kind of the last conversation that Jesus has in all of John's gospel. And so what I think is interesting about this, as you're about to read, and maybe you're cheating ahead and reading behind me while I'm talking, is... This is how John chooses to end his gospel. If you're spending all of this time creating an account about the life of Jesus, about the teachings of Jesus, this person who you believe is the son of God, this isn't really the way that I would have assumed that John would end his gospel. It's not a list of Jesus' greatest accomplishments. It's not like the lifetime greatest hits collection of Jesus' acts on earth or his teachings. It's not the highlights. But it's this very intimate conversation with Peter. Now, what we see John do all throughout his gospel with Peter is Peter serves as a paradigm. Anytime we see an encounter with Jesus and Peter, we're supposed to insert ourselves into that conversation, into that scenario. Peter serves as a representative for us, for you, for me. And so in this conversation that Jesus is having with Peter, I think that it's a conversation that Jesus is also having with each one of us. And this is what that conversation looks like. Jesus says to Peter, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. 
But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. And then John includes this parenthetical note that says that Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And if you know anything about how Peter died, Peter died by crucifixion just like Jesus. And so after Jesus said this to Peter, he said to him, follow me. Now, what we see Jesus doing here in this moment is Peter, or Jesus lays out for Peter, and he lays out for us kind of a paradigm, kind of a map of what life is going to look like. And he breaks it down very simply into two halves. When you were younger and when you were older. Now, in that time period, when you were older, is kind of about 30 or 40 years old in kind of the life expectancy. So for some of you, you're just going to have to imagine that Jesus was including you in this. And for some of you, if you're younger, you're like, yeah, that does sound pretty old to me. But really what Jesus is doing is he's kind of laying out two halves of life. And it's not based on actual age, although what we'll notice and what you might notice in your life is people typically tend to follow this path through life and their life is typically broken up into two halves, when they're younger and when they're older. And there are some details and there are some characteristics that differentiate these two halves to their life. Now, over time, Jesus hasn't been the only one to identify the way that life typically takes this shape or this kind of phased approach. In kind of, kind of modern psychology, Carl Jung was the first one to recognize that there are two halves of life. Most recently, kind of, um, kind of popular author David Brooks wrote a book called The Second Mountain where he identifies the first mountain of your life and the second mountain of your life. There have been lots of thinkers and teachers over the years who have recognized that for the most part, one of the shapes that our life can take is kind of this two-phased approach. Now, what Jesus does is he lays out that there are two stages. There are two phases in our life. The first is that when we were younger, we used to go wherever we wanted he says, you put on your own belt. There's a lot of kind of initial direction. There's a lot of self-agency. This is what we notice happens from the moment that our kids are born, from the moment that we were born. It's a move towards greater independence. It's a move, it's a move towards greater kind of um, autonomy, self-direction. It's all about growing and exploring. It's about trying new things. It's kind of this adventure away from your first home. Parents, you know this, as your kids get older, they want more independence. They want to be around you less and less. They want to spend more time with their friends. They want to have their own car so that they can get away from mom and dad. They want to explore life on their own. This is a normal thing. We've all done this. We've all had that, that moment in time where it's like, okay, I'm ready to start out and to begin this adventure of my own, exploring the world, navigating life. We're kind of led and pulled by all of the energies that we have in us. For those of you, you know, who your, your adolescent years were a long time ago, you, you may vaguely remember how much energy you had back then, or maybe you see kids today, and you're like, oh, they're so wild, they have so much energy. We were all like that. Just this bottle, this kind of coiled up spring of energy because we were waiting to explore life. But inevitably what happens in this first stage of life is as we move away from home and as we begin to explore the world, we begin to start to construct and to build our identity. 
we start to begin to build our sense of who we are in relationship to the world around us. Now, modern psychology kind of calls this the ego, not like the, you know, you're egotistical or you're self-centered, but more just our understanding, our mental image, our mental picture of who we are in relationship to the world around us. Now, one of the ways that you do this is you begin to make commitments in your life through the people that you spend your time with, the schools that you choose to go to, the career that you set out on, the family that you begin to build. All of these are commitments that we begin to make as we begin to define and, and kind of create the structure for who we are in the world. But what happens over time is those commitments, as you all know, adults, come with responsibilities. And those responsibilities come with an emotional cost. And so what we see happening in the first stage or first half of life is that as we begin to build our identity, as we begin to make all of these commitments that frame out who we are in relationship to the world around us, is these commitments begin to take a toll on us. It's not that they're bad. It's not that we shouldn't have made them. It's just there is a cost to who we have chosen to be in the world. And inevitably, we get to this place where we find ourselves kind of like Dante's opening lines in midlife some point. And midlife can be a different time period for anybody. In the middle of a dark wood, feeling like we've lost the way. We start to second guess maybe the decisions we've made. We've experienced something, maybe a setback or a tragedy. Life hasn't gone the way that we thought it would. And we begin to wonder if we made the right choices, if we took the right turns, if we navigated correctly. And we begin to maybe struggle with a little bit of self-doubt based on where we are and where we thought we would be. Now, another shape that this can take is sometimes you're really successful in all the commitments that you make. You begin to kind of, in David Brooks's language, you climb the first mountain, life is up and to the right, and you've achieved far more success than you ever thought possible. You're really successful at work, you have a great family, great kids, whatever the things you, you seem to touch turn to gold, life has been really good to you and you've been really successful in it. And some of you who are kind of in the second half of your life, you recognize that at some point you get to the top of that first mountain and you look out and you kind of go, oh, is it? You expected more. You were hoping that there would be more to all of the things that you originally set out to accomplish in this life. When you were younger, you had this vision of who you wanted to be and as you begin to get closer to achieving it, you realize that it was less satisfying, less fulfilling, less meaningful than you, than you kind of thought it would be. You thought once you got there and you had made it, that life would be good, but you find yourself in a place now going, yeah, I kind of did all the things I thought I would do and I'm a little bored. I'm a little unsatisfied. And so you begin to kind of feel like somebody kind of made a bait and switch with you, like the rug was pulled out from underneath you because you thought that if you accomplished everything you set out to, it would bring you this meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction, and it doesn't. And so inevitably, either way, we start to come to this new place in our life at the end of the first half of our life where we begin to second guess all that we had done before either because we achieved a lot and it wasn't meaningful or because it didn't go the way that we wanted. There was tragedy, setback, some type of health issue. Maybe it was a relationship that ended or you got you know, fired from your job and your career that you had placed all of your identity in. At some point, we all find ourselves in this similar place that Dante describes in a dark wood, feeling like we had lost the way. I love the way that Catholic author Ronald Rollheiser describes it. 
This is what he says kind of about that transition out of the first half of our life and into this middle passage. He says, once the sheer pulse of life, so strong in us during our youth, begins to be tempered by the weight of our commitments and the grind of the years, more of our sensitivities begin to break through and we sense more and more how we have been wounded and how life has not been fair to us. New demons then emerge, bitterness, anger, jealousy, and a sense of having been cheated. How many of you recognize some of those emotions? Disappointment cools. The fiery energies of our youth and our enthusiasm for life begins to be tempered by bitterness and anger as we struggle to accept our limits and make peace with a life that now seems too small and unfair. He goes on, where we once struggled to properly control our energies, we now struggle to access them. Where we once struggled not to fall apart, we now struggle not to petrify. Where we once struggled with Eros, the god of passion, we now struggle with Lyssa, the god of anger. As we age, we begin more and more to struggle with God. This is that midlife crisis period of time where you begin to question everything, second guess yourselves. Maybe kind of classically in kind of pop culture, you buy the, the little red sports car, but you begin to kind of wonder what's this all for. And when people find themselves in this middle passage, in this middle of life season, they have an opportunity to kind of have one of two responses. This, the first response to the disappointment or the suffering that they feel, whether it's because life wasn't, didn't end or go the way that they thought it would or because something tragic happened in their life and they're still recovering from this wound or because of this, the dissatisfaction that they have with the lack of meaning that success brought them is the first way is they can, can kind of begin to give up, to shrink back, to feel defeated in this sense. Maybe they hold on kind of for the rest of their life with this eternal grudge that life has cheated them in some way, that life has not been fair or kind to them. And they have all of this bitterness and resentment that they carry through the rest of their life. I know 80 and 90 year olds who for the last 60 years have been holding on to those emotions of bitterness and unfairness because of the way that life has gone and treated them. They've kind of coiled back and by doing so, their life has gotten smaller and smaller, lonelier and lonelier. Just here to encourage you this morning. <laughs> but that's not the only response that we can have. There's another response. Because we all know people who've experienced tragedy, who've experienced setback, who've experienced failure, or who have recognized that the life that they thought they were going to live didn't go the way they thought that it was going to go. And there's another response that we can have. And that's to begin to look inward, to recognize that in the brokenness and the fragments of our soul, in those deep wounded places, there is something tender there. But that tenderness is actually alive. It feels like our truest, best self. And we begin to uncover that. We begin to respond to all of the emotions that maybe we haven't recognized or allowed ourselves to feel, to own this sense of who we actually truly are, not who we thought we were supposed to be based on the world around us and the information and the input that they give us. And as we begin to explore that, we begin to recognize that there is something beautiful in that brokenness. There is something rich and deep and meaningful in those soft places in our heart and in our soul. 
And we begin to press into that. And you begin to lean into that. And you recognize that in response to all of that, that life is truly a gift and you begin to live a life that is far more generative, that is far more optimistic, that is far more inclusive of those around us. In the first half of our life, we begin to kind of identify and build our sense of ego in relationship to who we are in relationship to others. That means we need lots of walls and boundaries and framework to differentiate ourselves between us and other people. But in the second half of life, you realize that those walls and boundaries, that differentiation just creates division between you and others. And you start to see the world as more expansive and more open. So my guess is you have someone in your life who is truly in this second half of life. They're kind. They're joyful despite circumstances. They're welcoming and inclusive. They're generous They're generally just this underlying current of optimism and positivity because they truly understand what's most important. They don't get caught up in the pursuit and the rat race of the everyday life, but they recognize that there is something deeper and bigger and more beautiful to the life that they have figured out how to access. This is kind of the two halves of life that Jesus describes. The first half of life, we put on our own belt and we go wherever we want to go. We make the choices, we make the decisions, and we go and pursue and achieve and and strive. And inevitably, at some point, our life begins to take a new shape. Maybe one we didn't expect or one we didn't anticipate. And as we begin to navigate out of that dark wood, we can move into the second half of our life. We can begin to climb the second mountain. And says that when you're older... Someone's going to fasten a belt around your waist and take you where you do not wish to go. And I think that's the definition of spiritual maturity and spiritual development is our own willingness to be led where we do not want to go. See, what Jesus identifies to Peter is that Peter, in the second half of your life, as you move through life, your life will begin to take the shape of Jesus' life. It is a life that begins to be given away more and more and more. Ultimately, for Jesus and for Peter, it leads to the cross. And Jesus is saying, this is the arc of the human soul. This is the arc of your spiritual formation and development that you begin to move into a life that looks more and more like me, a life that is given away in greater and greater measure. You begin to take on causes. You begin to commit yourself to things that truly matter, to purposes greater than building your own container, your own identity, your own family. You start to look outside of yourself and recognize all of the needs around you, all of the people who exist in this world who could use what you have. You begin to identify that you have so much more than you've ever needed. And you recognize what a gift it has all become. And you find a passion and a commitment to begin to extend your life outward to others, to give it away, to be willing to be led in a direction that you do not wish to go. Now, I think it's important to note that the first half of life and the second half of life, they don't stand in opposition to each other. We all have to go through the first half of life. We all have to begin to build our life to frame out our identity and our sense of who we are in the world, what matters and doesn't matter to us, make the commitments that begin to frame out and define our life. Because it's only in losing that in a way, of seeing the limitations of that, 
they were able to move into the second half of life. It's that place in the middle passage of suffering where we begin to realize that there is more to life than what we thought there was that allows us to move into the second half of life. And so they're not in opposition to each other. And we all move across this place at different speeds. There are people who kind of get to the middle passage in the second half of life far earlier, some in their 20s or maybe 30s. And some of us, you know, maybe we don't get to the second half of our life, if ever, until maybe our 70s or 80s or 90s. Lots of people find themselves at different places on this journey through life. But I think what's important about knowing where this journey takes us is being able to begin to recognize and identify yourself on this journey. I think that's the most important thing when you get lost, right? So you gotta figure out first where you are and then you gotta figure out where you want to go. And so I love the way that Jesus kind of wraps up and frames this whole kind of explanation to Peter when you were younger and when you were older. And then he ends it all. And he says two very powerful words, follow me. Now, it wasn't a literal follow me in that moment. It wasn't a, you know, walk where I walk, take the turns that I turn, because then shortly after that moment, Jesus would ascend to heaven to be with God. Peter couldn't go there. But Jesus, or Peter could begin to live like Jesus. He could begin to recognize that there was more to life than maybe the pursuits that he had first chosen. He could begin to give his life away in greater and greater measure. He could begin to follow that arc that led him to the cross. And that's what Peter did. And that's why we're still talking about Peter to this day. Because he allowed himself to go on this journey. To be formed spiritually in the example of Christ. And ultimately comes to the place of Christ. To the cross. And that's where, if you're willing... This journey will take you and it will take me. And it feels hard and maybe it doesn't feel like something that you want to choose in this moment of giving your life away and following Christ to the point where you find the cross. But the promise of Jesus throughout scripture is those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Ultimately, the only way to experience the fullest life possible in this life is to give yours away and to do it in the example of Jesus. So that's what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks in this series. We're going to kind of unpack each of those different phases, the stages that Jesus lays out. We're going to be, begin to look at the pitfalls, the twists and turns, the stumbling blocks, and to understand how we can begin to be formed spiritually in the example of Christ, how we can move through those phases and end up following Jesus like he offers. So I hope that you'll go with us on this journey. There are ways that you can follow along with us. If you kind of click that QR code, there's a link in this morning's bulletin of kind of about a daily journal that gives you some prompts. You can write them down. You can think about them. You can have a conversation with your kids or with your spouse or significant other. These are all ways that we want to kind of walk with you on this journey because let me be really, really clear. This is the blind leading the blind. I'm on this journey too. So I'm not at the end kind of encouraging you to come to me. A lot of you are way further ahead than I am. I'm just trying to catch up to some of you. And so we're all in this together. And so I hope that you will come on this journey with us. Let me pray for our time together and then I'll invite the band to come and lead us in one last song. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity to begin to become aware of the map that is laid out before us. The journey that you are inviting us on 
a place to move towards greater spiritual depth, greater spiritual maturity and emotional health. God, ultimately, it's a life lived in the example of you. So equip us, encourage us, and empower us as we set off on this journey together. We love you, and we are grateful that we get to be here together. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.